Welcome to Movie Maniacs, discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. My name is Chuck Curry, alongside my co-host Kenny B. This is Movie Maniacs, a weekly radio uh, podcast, also heard on WoWo, W-O-W-O, out of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, every Saturday night at midnight. This is a program where we talk about anything and everything that has to do with the world of movies. We delve into television, so on and so forth, a lot, and I mean a lot, to talk about this week. Uh, I got a chance to see uh, the newest Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I'm going to talk about that in a few uh, minutes. We got uh, a whole bunch of stuff, including uh, not, not only are the writers on strike, now you got the acting uh, Actors Guild on strike. This could have major ramifications uh, over the next uh, 12 to 18 months, depending on how long it goes on. I think it's going to go on possibly for quite some time, which is a big bummer, and the tail end of our program, our top 10 uh, list, will be our top 10 actors or actresses who we feel have had a tremendous or an impactful long-term career, sort of to coincide with the success that Tom Cruise has had over his long career, he opening this weekend again in Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. Uh, enough said on all this stuff. I'm going to introduce you to uh, introduce you to my co-host, Kenny B. Ken, that was a little bit of a long-winded introduction, so uh, you take it from here not, for a second. Not long-winded for you, Chuck. That was short. <laughs> the the, the over-under for this 55-minute show is that I will yeah. be on for 12 and a half minutes, so we, we have people timing it. But And, and I, I really enjoyed... Uh, your your pick of your topic today for the top 10 i got into mission impossible mode with it for my top 10 and of course i have 11 of them i have their little dossiers printed out now of course you can't see it but i'll be i'll be i'm gonna be like mr phelps used to be uh going through the dossiers but it is funny because tom cruise has had a long career and maybe we can talk about when we talk about uh mission impossible but I've never thought of him as a great actor. He's a great, he's, he's an action-oriented actor, but I've never been overly thrilled by his acting in things like a Valkyrie and even, of course, Eyes Wide, Wide Shut. So I think, everyone, like that one? I think everyone that I put on my list is going to be a much better actor than Tom Cruise because it isn't necessarily success that in the box office that defines the great actor. So what I tried to do when we get to it is I wanted to go, I wanted to get away from saying, oh, well, you know, all the great actors, you know, John Wayne and, you know, Humphrey Bogart and all that. And so there's a lot of people out there. That will be fun. But uh, my, my big thing is to ask you, how's, how's Barbie doing? Well, here's the deal. Uh, let's delve into uh, box office here a little bit. Um, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. You know, a lot of hoopla coming off the Flash. I mean, the media really went on a hellbent tangent to punish uh, every uh, box office total on a day-to-day -day basis 
for the flash obviously it's a massive underperformer and the industry not even going to top out i think 250 million dollars worldwide which will probably lose warner brothers discovery over 200 million dollars despite the fact i think as i said many times in this program i thought it was a very entertaining quality superhero film now the problem with indiana jones and the dollar destiny a movie that you know i didn't love but i, I liked uh, i thought it showed respect to it you know and now uh in 80 now 81 year old harrison ford the character of indiana jones um here's the thing uh there's no way this movie was going to do the box office of the original trilogy and ultimately they wound up spending three hundred million dollars to produce it uh in its first week at the box office worldwide it's done about 250 million uh they needed probably to do 900 million plus to go into profitability it's probably not going to happen so it looks like disney uh who now controls this franchise can will lose some money. I mean, maybe they'll get it back long term. Uh, again, we always talk about does box office influence the quality of movie? It shouldn't. I mean, it has nothing to do with the quality. Once the movie's made, you watch it on the screen, you get it subjective. You either really like it, you don't like it somewhere uh, in between. Your opinion will fall. But uh, clearly, a flash now, Indiana Jones is somewhat of an issue in terms of box office simply because, one, they've under, underperformed, but two, they spent so much money. On, on on these on these projects that if the stars don't align absolutely perfect and there's a storm that is a perfect setting uh these movies have will have an issue becoming profitable they're just too expensive and as we stated many times on this program one of the huge issues in the industry now is that movies that could become way too expensive to do to produce there was a time ken where studios would roll a dice on spending you know the big money which would be well let's say equated in today's dollar uh let's say two two hundred and fifty to three hundred million dollars plus they do that once in a while if they really felt they had something that they felt could uh, ignite a massive fan base worldwide but now they're rolling the dice on every other movie it appears and i think that's detrimental uh going forward now this week in terms of uh the, the marketplace you got uh and uh, you got mission impossible dead reckoning part one which is uh, expected to do about 90 million in his first five days these movies don't open huge huge but they do have legs reviews are like 96 percent positive on rottentomatoes.com so that should uh, create a lot of interest i got a chance to watch the movie yesterday and i tell you one the action scenes are spectacular as advertised it's a very solid installment in this franchise and the one major takeaway that i got and i gotta tell you ken is that uh, I don't think Tom Cruise is a, is a normal human being in the respect that one, he defies age. He does, he, he's implementing what his hat as producer and not only actor, but producer of these films, uh, new age action sequences that are really stupendous. And you sit there and you watch his stuff as it unfolds and you say, holy cow, how in the world did they did this? How did they not get hurt? How is this guy who's now 60 years old doing this stuff on the big screen uh, in, 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 this, in, this, in this franchise? But he's doing it. And um, I, I would say this, the movie, and I liked it, but it's almost exhausting, Ken. I mean, the action set pieces are so huge that as they unfold, it's like, I felt physically sort of drained and it almost gave me a slight, it, I don't really get headaches, I gotta be honest, but it almost gave me a slight headache because they're, just, they're so bombastic, extremely well done, extremely well done, but there's so many and they're trying to top themselves that it felt like this movie was like watching 
an Indiana Jones movie with the most spectacular, innovative 2023 stunts you could put on film. So I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, It's well worth seeing. Uh, But like I said, Tom Cruise is a rare breed uh, of human being. And I almost wonder if he's he's, he's part uh, either alien or some sort of a Terminator. He's been infused with an endoskeleton structure or something because it's just it's just hard to believe what he's doing maybe there is something to all that scientology you know maybe that's the answer yeah um and you know i'm not surprised that there's great action sequences because if there weren't great action sequences we'd actually have to watch tom cruise act i know that's not fair i did want to say one thing about um indiana jones and that is i wonder if we will ever get to see it on disney plus because the way Iger's been going lately, he might just write that movie off and you know just never show it streaming just to take the big loss this year. Which you know, if they cut any more content to, to uh, take losses, there's going to be nothing left. Here's another thing I just want to point out, and we'll expand. We'll talk about this, this, the strikes here and how this is going to affect the industry. Bob Iger in an interview said and it, what, it, what i find very interesting a lot of these mouthpieces at these studios james gunn who's in charge of dc over warner brothers and bob Iger, who's a you know obviously has massive power as ceo of disney they're very blunt in in a lot of things they've been saying which i think is not always a good thing but bob Iger did say something that i i do agree with i mean he's probably gonna offend some people in the streaming division but he said in terms of the mcu the marvel content he said they have they have done too many Marvel streaming shows, and it has hurt the uh, excitement for people wanting to see the stuff on the big screen. And I completely agree. I've always said you have you cannot you cannot ex- you cannot extend storylines of movies that people see in theaters to TV and expect people to have the time and energy to watch. Uh, these characters unfold on TV screen via streaming and also in the movie. And if you miss something on streaming, you don't understand what's happening in the movie. And then at the end of the day, they just overexpose. I think the stuff they do on streaming has to be streaming content that is not characters that show in a movie theater. Netflix did it right when they did Jessica Jones and, and Daredevil and Luke Cage. Those projects work beautifully because they were confined to streaming and Netflix only once you take the characters like the hulk and you take them from a movie screen you put them on streaming and wanda and you put that that character uh on on, from movies to streaming i think you're overexposing the character you're confusing people who just want to watch the movies only and that has hurt their product uh he has he said he said that in an interview that i would completely uh agree with him uh just comment on that before we talk about the writer strike yeah yeah i mean we have to remember that Iger is a i mean he he's a he is an entertainment guy he's he was trained under um i I was thinking of his name and i forgot the 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 head of uh disney before him yes he was trained under him uh the guy that that he replaced where's the mind go to and they remember they put together this product protection michael eisner is the person i was trying to think of they put together this uh, product protection where they would put a movie out on vhs folks we're going back a ways and sell it for a while and then put it away for seven years and they they created this this artificial uh scarcity and then the interesting 
Then they left. The, 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 old, the old guard left. They got some young people in there. Well, people that were worried about diversity. By the way, they've started filming the new Snow White, which is a Hispanic Snow White, which I love. It's the lady from West Side Story, of course. But seven people of varying heights and genders. It's not going to be the seven dwarves. Uh, uh, Peter Dinklage, uh, his uh, complaints, I guess, were heard. Uh, so they're doing Snow White and her seven friends of various um, ethnicities, which I'm, I bet Iger really loved that one when he when he came back. But they, the other thing that they did was they they fell into the ABC model of hey, wh- who wants to be a millionaire is really doing well tonight, so we'll put it on two nights a week. Oh, now we're going to put it on four. Well, now we're going to have who wants to be a millionaire every night of the week. And what they started to do with the content on Disney Plus, and it's not just Marvel. You can go on there and you can, you know, you, you can see um, the characters from uh, Frozen, and um, you know, going going to the beach. You can you can see snippets where Mickey Mouse is doing this, that, or the other thing. They they. Hello. Well, I'm still here. Yeah. Okay. Sorry yeah. about that, Ken. Yeah, I, I I never stopped talking, but they 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 they. they and they went down this other path instead of the scarcity of just trying to bombard the streaming platform with everything they could from these characters. And I think what you're seeing from Iger is he's coming back in and saying, hmm, you know, that seven years in the vault worked really well for us. Maybe we got to stop watering down our product and giving away so much of it. Basically, they, they made a mistake when they were rolling out Disney+. Plus that they threw too much content in there to try to get people to sign up. And I think they're seeing that they probably, you know, shifted the balance a little bit. I agree with that 100%. But, and, but the question is, how could people who, I mean, obviously, you know, these people make so much money, the Bob Igers of the world, guiding these companies. How could they be, how could they make the mistakes that have been made? It just seems like this will take years to unfold uh, to, to get that model back to where they think it needs to be. I mean, I, I don't, you know, uh, again, you're steering people away from movie theaters to streaming. They over-saturated uh, streaming. Now people are losing some interest in streaming, especially on Disney Plus with these Marvel shows, clearly. And so it's like, oh, you hurt the theatrical model. You hurt the streaming model. Uh, that's not really a good position to be in. But as, as Bob Agger said, he was channeling his best Michael Corleone. I was out, and they pulled me back in. Remember, Iger had retired, and his successor, who was the one responsible for this stuff, did so bad that they went back and said, "Hey, Bob, will you come back in and run this company?" And so, um, you know, I, yeah, I, 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 big big difference. I don't think you're going to see Iger making these mistakes. And you know what? People who think the House of Mouse is somehow uh, going to fold. Now, the House of Mouse has too much going for it because it still owns some of the most profitable franchises from birth to death almost, and it's it owns entertainment. And, you know, the good thing is they got rid of a bunch of people at ESPN as well that I didn't like, but I, I, th- I, think, I think you're going to see, I think you'll see Disney getting back a little bit more to the old Disney way. You may be happy that they will stop watering down the product as much on streaming. And maybe uh, Iger, I, I still expect, and this would be something Iger would do, I still expect them to go out after a movie chain before this is all over. I got another question for you. Uh, obviously, we've been talking the last couple mm. of weeks 
how long this rider strike has gone on. Uh, and as of to, as of yesterday, as as we taped this program, uh, the actors have now gone out on strike. The Actors Guild, run by uh, Fran Drescher, um, as the uh, as the president of that guild, and it appears it is ugly right off the bat. I mean, clearly AI appears to be a major snag. I, uh, residuals on on the back end. I just want to point out. I was talking to somebody about the residual aspect. Uh, and I talked about this on the program when network television in the 1970s, when it was three networks, when All in the Family ran on CBS, Carol O'Connor became the first actor to cut a residual deal, meaning he understood that, that the, the vision and the foresight that that show, which was so popular in its initial run, would eventually play in what they called syndication. And he cut a deal where he made a lot of money off repeats when it was sold to other stations and uh, affiliate networks. Uh, and obviously, Friends has benefited immensely. Those That cast has made millions. Cheers, Seinfeld, and a ton of other shows where the actors have made a ton of, of a ton of money uh, in residuals. But here's the thing, Ken, with network, with network television or, or syndicated television, when you had a package, or even married children will be another example, it was sold off to another company, a distributor, who then sold it to independent stations and made a lot of money. And Friends is still, to this day, doing that. They sold it to different entities, TBS, uh, TNT, sold it to, Net, uh, I believe, HBO Max, and made a lot of money. But the thing is, these the actors appear like these streamers are in the same position that the networks were when they cut these deals. I think it's different because if Netflix produces a product, a, a show, I just don't see the longevity of a Netflix show uh, 10 years, 20 years down the road because there's so much content. It's almost like exhaustible within a year. And I just don't see where the back end money is going to come for these actors. I think, if anything, they got to cut front end deals. Um, in terms of AI, I think some of these studios want their likeness almost instantaneously when, when they start the project. Going forward, they're going to fight that. The writers obviously don't want artificial intelligence writing scripts. Uh, there was a quote uh, from an industry source that said the game plan with the studios in terms of the writers will to be break them, uh, break their back, uh, and basically have a theory that after five months on the picket line and not working, the majority of writers will start losing their apartments and their houses and be going broke. And they're going to be forced to take any deal at that point that's on the table. I think the actors, at least the big name actors, certainly are in a much better position to withstand that. So the question is, did the actors do this in solidarity of the writers? Uh, clearly, they have their own issues. But if you look at what can happen here, if this plays out long term, where will the content be? And let's say the end of 2024 and 2025, theaters cannot survive another COVID like scenario of uh, no product in the marketplace, Ken. That, that's true, but I mean, one one thing about the SAG-AFTRA is there there are unions in this country. There there are unions, the labor unions, the the you know AFL CIO, other unions, the Teamsters, but nobody takes unionization as seriously as the Actors Guild and SAG-AFTRA. No, there, yeah, there they, there is some self interest in this. 
but they're they are supporting this strike because that's what they do and they 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 expect the writers would support them as well and what we have here you know so people understand this isn't a case where the person who's up there getting the academy award for the best screenplay is the one that's behind this strike this is where the people who toil you said apartments, right. These aren't people who have these yes. Hollywood mansions. These are the writers who are on staff who do most of the writing on a script. You know, the, the, this, the, the person who does the screenplay usually isn't that, that heavily involved in rewrites and other things because they've moved on to something else by the time it's being filmed. These are people that are struggling to make a living. And, you know, it's, it's sort of the equivalent of the actors who, you know, also work, uh, work in... Uh, restaurants as waiters and stuff these are these are not wealthy people this is if the nfl went on strike and no we're not talking about tom brady striking we're talking about the guy at the league minimum so i think that's i think that is um you know extremely important and if you want something something great if you want to look at what ai can do to all this if you haven't seen it season six or whatever the current season of black mirror is first episode it's about a television series, which is all AI, and it's great because you've got multiple levels on levels of who's playing who, and it all comes down to, well, Salma Hayek, she's not actually playing that actress. She had given up the rights to her to her likeness in an AI deal, and so now the uh, studio can just make Salma do whatever she wants. Interesting. So will you tell me, what, where, if you had a, two, a two-fold question, what do you think uh, AI can and will eventually do if it has a free reign in in the industry, movie industry in general, and television? And two, how long do you see the, the strike playing out with the writers and the actors? And if it goes on, let's say for six more months, how detrimental will that ultimately be? Well, uh, you know, how how do I see AI playing out? Have you ever seen yeah. Terminator? Um, I mean, we're we're making all the mistakes that they always made in all those movies about AI. I mean, AI can pretty much generate a script. If you if you were to throw an idea into AI, especially if you were to give the give the uh, the AI bot an outline of scenes and all that, and have it come up with dialogue, it probably can do that already. If it can't, within five years, it probably can. And I think that's I think that's what the writers are worried about. Is that they're going they're going to become. They know the answer. They know the answers to the question. They're going to become obsolete. Not not the Mario Puzos of the world. I, right. I, it's hard for me. To, I, I don't know a lot of you know screenwriters out there. No, but but the the people who are doing the rewrites and all that they won't be needed because it can be done automatically. And you know what AI doesn't get residuals. So I think the the, the strike is going to last a long time because the studios are going to try to break the union because they see the benefit of automating the writing process and the screenwriters they they got nothing to lose by continuing this and if we don't get new product well i don't it used to be oh if we don't have new shows for the networks in september we're doomed well we don't really care because Nobody watches network television, and they don't necessarily show start start shows in September anymore. But you start running, you start running out of content. I don't think the streaming services are going to be that hurt because we all have about twelve years of content that we have on our wish list to watch. But yeah, the movie theaters—if you know—you start 
having new stuff not come out and you know anything that needed additional work isn't going to come out and so uh, you know you go down the road six months if we're not getting new things or completing old things uh, it's going to be a calamity i know the movie theaters cannot sur- the, the chains cannot survive four six eight months without new content it's, it's just really scary, uh, and it's and it's and it and it is uh, it is sad. It's hard to believe, you know. Certain, it's just hard to believe people who really should know better can't see the trees behind the what is that? But uh, behind the forest, uh, forest for the trees. Yeah, yeah. However, that one goes. Uh, good topic. Now, before we get on to our main topic of our top, uh, our our opinion of some of the best actors and actors who have had great long-term careers in the industry and certainly have made a nice dent. Uh, I just want to do some this week in movie history. Uh, it's an interesting one. July 13, 1990, this week. Uh, the movie Ghost opens up nationwide. Patrick Swayze, uh, Demi Moore, Whoopi Goldberg, who won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. This was the true definition of a sleeper. Production budget, Ken, $22 million. Worldwide gross, five hundred and. $20 million. Think of that uh, risk versus reward ratio. I remember, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember watching a late night talk show uh, with Letterman, and uh, Bruce Willis was on as a guest, and he was promoting Die Hard 2. And he said, You know, Dave, I just want to say that I saw this movie that my wife did, and it's going to come out in a few weeks. It's called Ghost. And he said, Mark my words. This movie is going to be a massive sleeper hit and it's going to outgross everything that's released this summer. And he was really spot on. Uh, the general public loved this movie. People went to see this multiple times. I'm talking two, not oh, not twice. I'm talking three, four, five times in the theater. It was beloved. Went on to, to be nominated for Best Picture. Whoopi Goldberg won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, interesting footnote in the documentary that michael j fox currently uh has that's airing on apple tv he actually stated that one of his regrets is that he passed on the role the male lead role in ghost that patrick swayze wound up getting that would have been super interesting i think we did a great job i mean patrick swayze you know uh dirty dancing roadhouse ghost those are his dream signature parts in the industry so i'm glad swayze got it but uh ghost 23 million that's the gamble, $550 million, $520 million uh, gross. That, that's a pretty good risk-reward gamble, Ken. I it it is. And, day of the week. and there were two other big beneficiaries. One of it was the Righteous Brothers. Who's, yes, correct. Uh, who's, unfortunately, the theme on Chain Melody was not eligible for an Academy Award because it wasn't original. It had already been nominated for an Academy Award in 1955. For the movie, Unchained. Yes, it was originally in a movie that three people saw. And um, the other great beneficiaries, of course, were Leslie Nielsen and Priscilla Presley. Yes, I was going to put that popped in my head, too. <laughs> who recreated that scene yeah, in one the of the... Naked Gun 2, right? Yeah, they, they, didn't do the, they didn't do the pottery as well, but it actually, it actually yeah. did lead to an increase in sales of potter's wheels. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Good. That's, that's an interesting uh, memory. Other uh, This Week in Movie History, July 14th, 1989, When Harry Met Sally opens in theaters. Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, uh, movie made. It was a really good movie. Uh, that's what they called a, a very 
uh, well-written romantic comedy that was very thought-provoking and it touched a nerve and made a lot of money. Very big hit in theaters. Yeah, and uh, it starts, of course, in the Windy City of Chicago. And I first saw it in the Windy City of Chicago. I was in Chicago for I was in Chicago for four days for some seminars on international taxation. And between the first sec- segment and the second segment, I went to see When Harry Met Sally on a Tuesday night. And I saw it in Chicago. And all I know is that when I w- went to the restaurant the next day, I was going to say, I'll have what she's having. Yes, that's obviously classic, a classic scene that everybody talked about. And what, what happened mm. to the romantic comedy? Uh, it's, it's, I mean, that's another genre that uh, has gone by the wayside. And it's ridiculous. And I mean ridiculous mm. that they don't produce romantic comedies and everything became $200 million plus, you know, big popcorn superhero movies. It's, we have to go in a different direction. Uh, this week, speaking of superhero movies, this week in, in, in movie history, uh, 2008, uh, Dark Knight opens Chris Nolan's Dark Knight, a game changer, because it took the superhero movie, and I love Batman Begins, but it, it took the Batman character and it elevated that genre into sort of the godfather realm of a crime drama uh, an amazing performance by Heath Ledger as a Joker and got rave reviews and, and ultimately did a billion dollars worldwide for a dark Batman movie that's pretty pretty impressive. Uh, it, it's a great movie. What can I say? One other one. And, I, wait, and I, I actually first saw that at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia, the IMAX theater there. My daughter really? and I okay. saw it the day, it the day it premiered. I think it was like 12 bucks and they gave us a bag of popcorn a uh, uh, one of those rub-on tattoos. I got one of a bat, folks. Jeez. I was tatted, and a Reese <laughs> and, and a Reese's peanut butter bat. It was a great, great, great way to watch it. Good and, deal. I wish I could take a time capsule and go back. It's a pretty good deal. And, and nothing, nothing, and nothing will ever top Heath Ledger's scene in that in that movie, no, including. It's just awesome. It's just yep. awesome. It's just, and listen, Christian Bale was great. Bruce Wayne, Batman. July, uh, July fourteenth, nineteen eighty nine. License to Kill opens, and uh, a James Bond movie did one of two with Timothy Dalton uh, that he did. The movie did not fare that well at the box office, didn't use Bond gadgets, didn't really have much of the Bond theme in the movie. But I got to tell you, I like it a lot, uh, and I really think Timothy Dalton was an underrated uh, James Bond. I thought he was really good. I, I, I've watched this movie not long ago. I, I think it plays very well. It's a straight revenge film. Dalton has an edge, and really, he's doing the Daniel Craig thing ahead of its time. And I think that's why it was sort of a polarizing movie. Uh, it, 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 the, the two Dalton movies put Bond franchise in mothballs until it was uh, re-energized with the Pierce Bronson stuff. But um, I, I like Timothy Dalton as James Bond. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I don't know if I even saw the second one, but yeah, I, I liked all the James Bonds. I mean, I wish I wish Connery had done what Harrison Ford did and just you know continue as James Bond until until he died. I think that would have been a great. He could have pulled it off. He probably could have pulled it off. One other one before we go on to our main topic. Uh, this week in movie history, July 10, nineteen eighty one, Escape from New York opens in theaters. Kurt Russell lobbied for the part of Snake Plissken. He got it. He wanted to change his image as a Disney actor. He, it was his uh, idea to wear the eye patch. Here's why I, I, I have a fond memory of this movie because this is at a cusp where movies were able to do a little bit more in terms of being inventive. 
when and they used miniatures there was no cgi they had good characters they had good actors this movie was just fun and it was unique i think it holds up very well to today and i gotta tell you ken uh i really wish in a lot of ways that the industry never got into the heavy use of cgi i know miniatures take longer to film but the but i i, I just think it in a lot of ways looks better uh i think you appreciate the director's innovation and imagination and that's such the case with escape through new york john carpenter's movie from 1981 yeah and if you start using cgi for all your scenery and also all your actors why not uh what you have is called a cartoon yes yeah, but here's the problem with cgi now is that in the in ant-man and the wasp and also the flash they hire the studios hire these companies that does to do these work and they are so backlogged and the, 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 the studio has a release date and they're releasing these movies without a completely finished uh special effects product and it, it, it's just not the way it should be but uh, that that's what you're saying so okay our main topic at hand uh top 10 actors or actresses who we feel have had impactful really good careers it could be for whatever reason we choose just the longevity the legacy the, the work so on and so forth i'll let you start ken 10 okay. through 6 and i tried to go modern as opposed to what i normally do i also tried to go away from the big stars because you know what you can't have a movie without the supporting actors but i gotta mention my honorable mention whenever you talk about actors or actresses who had a long career and a big impact there should be an award for that. It should be called the Catherine Houghton Hep Hepburn Award. Catherine Hepburn, 68-year career. Wow. And she... I didn't realize that. Not only did she win four Best Actresses and everything else, but this was a lady who basically was fighting for the rights of women back in the 30s. She wore, she wore the pants in the family, literally. And as, you just always have to remember, her career was amazing. Went from being a young ingenue to the elderly aunt, of course, in uh, the uh, in love affair with Warren Beatty. My, my number 10, he actually is, it's claimed he has over 700 credits to his name. He and his sibling have the Hank Aaron and Tommy Aaron Award for having the most combined credits, just like they had the most combined home runs, uh, because his sister has a, a couple hundred credits as well. But this guy has been doing things for 40 years, started way back in the, um, oh, I think in the, in the 70s with King of the Gypsies. And Eric Roberts, Julia Roberts' older brother, actually has 700 acting credits to his name. How the heck do you do that? See, you didn't know that. Wow. I did not know that. Then the next one, I, I can't ever do one of these lists. I, I just love her as an actress. And I mean, she's gone from doing shows on the WB to being the queen. She is the Catherine Hepburn of B movies. She also had to work with Charlie Sheen in uh, uh, Anger Management. Uh, Selma Blair is only worth like $6 million, which you know is what you know, Tom Cruise will get for this month, probably for his, um, for the residuals. Yeah, and, but, yeah. and she's made a few hundred B movies, but she is, she is, she has created a craft where she actually acts well in B-movies. And they actually has made very good ones over the years, like The Fog. I mean, The Poker House with um, 
uh, Jennifer Lawrence was just a great movie. And so I, I had put her on and also because uh, she is, of course, fighting uh, multiple sclerosis. And so we have to, uh, you know, be, be aware of that. My number eight, I first became aware of him because my second spouse was obsessed with him. I should have been warned. I don't know. Um, he's he's played a leading man at times, but usually he's beside Costner, or Connery, De Niro, or somebody like that, or beside the, the all the guys in Oceans 9, 10, 11, 12, 42. Um, he, is, he, he plays the great understated villain as well as anybody. He's done a few hundred films. Um, he's also even received a, a Grammy for producing a... Uh, a tropical Latino album. That's Andy Garcia. I mean, a, a very, I mean, Andy Garcia is one of those guys that everything he's in seems to turn out pretty well, even though he's usually not the front runner of it. And of course, he was nominated for an Academy Award for his role as, as Vincent Mancini in Godfather 3. I'm gonna- I loved him in that movie. I also think uh, When a Man Loves a Woman is an underrated, underseen film. At least now. I mean, people sort of forgot that movie, but he did a good job in that movie with Meg Ryan's a very interesting, well-done movie. Serious, yeah. too. Yeah, my, my number my number seven, I guess this is, is uh, one of these guys, you've seen him everywhere, and it's like, what, what's his name? Who is he? Uh, Danny Trejo. Uh, he was he starred in the machete. He was Machete Cortez in the Machete <laughs> film. Your list is interesting. But now Dan, Danny has been in yeah. like he's been in hundreds of films and commercials. He he once played a role in an indie film as a boxer for three hundred twenty dollars a day. Uh, wow. He's made a lot of material, and occasionally he'll actually play a humorous role, which really. I mean, I love his. I love when he does that because it shows one he has a little bit of depth. But you got this guy who's usually the villain, and there's a little bit of racism involved in all that and everything else. And all of a sudden, he turns around, and makes you laugh. So that was my number six, or my number seven. My number six. This guy. I mean, he was he was in the Dirty Dozen. He was in Mash. Kelly's Hero. So okay, he can only play war films. Then he played Clued. Okay, we'll put him in one with the prostitute. Then we went back to a few war films, and most recently, of course, we knew him as President Snow in The Hunger Games. I don't know anything that Donald Sutherland's ever been in, and he's been in a lot, where he hasn't been memorable in that role. And it's just to me, he's one of those guys who just has shown so much versatility. He actually has received an Academy Award nomination. They gave him an honorary Academy Award in 2017, but, you know, some of his work, especially Hunger Games, his work back in MASH, even I loved him in Dirty Dozen. Uh, I, just another one of those people, he's always there and always seems to add to the film he's in. So that was my number six. I, I like that. That's a good pick. That was my number six. Okay, here's my 10 through 6. My number 10, uh, Morgan Freeman, who is now 86 years old. He's done over 100, has 150 acting credits he still has like five more projects in the pipeline believe it or not uh in uh in the in the 70s 1971 through 77 he was on the electric company uh which is a a pbs station 780 episodes uh got got a good break in a movie called street smart 
played a uh, a pimp with uh, opposite uh, Christopher Reeve, who was Superman. Really good role. I remember him in Teachers, a movie I like a lot from 1984. Shawshank Redemption, obviously a massive classic. Everything the guy touches, he just elevates. He elevated the Nolan Batman films along with Michael Caine. He's just a super good actor. So Morgan Freeman, I think his body of work really is a very impressive one that will stand the test of time. Uh, number nine, I'm gonna, this is one I, I went back. I, I did go with Humphrey Bogart, uh, 36-year career. I think he only did 28 films. Uh, his net worth when he passed was $10 million. Do, uh, if you count that to inflation, it'd be about $95 million. He was a very unique talent. By all accounts, a really good guy. Uh, Casablanca, really nothing else to say. That guy was a unique movie star, so number nine. Number eight, I put an actress on, and it's Julia Roberts, because I think in my lifetime, I've never seen an actress light up the screen or have such an impact with the general public. Her connectability for not only men but women equally liked uh, and connected with on screen from Pretty Woman to Sleeping with the Enemy to Notting Hill to winning an Oscar and Erin Brockovich. She had a really nice run, highly respected. Julia Roberts, my number eight. And, and, number her, and her brother was instrumental in getting her some of her early roles. So once again, that's why her brother is such an instrumental actor. Uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it. No, number seven, I went with Harrison Ford. As we speak, he turned 81 years old. Indiana Jones, Han Solo, those are two roles that will stand the test of time. Then you throw in The Fugitive, another massive hit. Air Force One, another hit. Uh, Working Girl, another massive hit. Just a terrific career, well-respected, long career. Uh, American Graffiti to now... What more can be said? Harrison Ford, an icon, number seven. Number six, I went with Sylvester Stallone because here's a guy who really wrote a script called Rocky, got it produced, wanted to star, held out, starred, and then, you know, four, four, five decades later, he's in the Creed movies. Uh, In between that, Rambo. So Rocky, Rambo, he's done a lot of good action movies. Uh, Cliffhanger being one, I'm a fan of Daylight. He's just a pop culture icon that has spanned many decades, and he's still well-respected, well-liked, he's still relevant, so Stallone is my number six. Yeah, I'd like to see him do Shakespeare sometime. You know, he, nah, it's not yeah, going to happen, no, but having uh, said that, he'll give it a try. Yeah, I'm, uh, that's why I tried to go to those those who are actually good at their craft. So uh, now our five through one will be one at a time. Okay, our number, my number five, I mean, again, is an actress who received an Academy Award for Dead Man Walking, she was also, of course, in Rocky Horror Picture Show, Atlantic mm-hmm. City. She was nominated for an Academy Award. Thelma and Louise, she was nominated. Lorenzo's Oil and The Client. All You take those movies, there isn't much of a common thread in those movies. And, of course, she was in uh, Witches of Eastwick, Bull, Bull Durham, Little Women. I mean, this lady has a tremendous range and she's been she's never been the big name bankable star that everybody's after but susan sarandon has had a terrific career going back to her first days in a soap opera in 1970 and her first film joe which was also 1970 so i had susan sarandon as my number five good pick my number five i went with another icon i went with john wayne because very few actors have had the unique 
presence and aura of a John Wayne. He had a tremendous run, true grit to the shootist. His last movie, The Shootist in 76, my favorite Wayne movie. I thought it was very interesting when he came out of that whole cowboy Western genre into the 70s of police movies with Brannigan. And I think he did a movie called McHugh. It was a really interesting fit for an icon uh, just uh just uh, when he spoke it was r- like r- it just you listened and it was a he's this very special uh celebrity and, and human being uh so john wayne i had to put in my top 10 he's my number five yeah there's a um there's this commercial that goes around on the internet that was done it was a coors light commercial i believe it was done after john wayne passed but yeah the the drill sergeant is they're angry because he found a six pack of coors light uh, among the recruits and it's like whose beer is this and then john wayne comes it's my beer there sergeant and then of course john wayne's looking for his pretzels well don't just stand there find the general's pretzels my number four again i tried to stay away from the john waynes and the humphrey bogarts and all that I went with Samuel L. Jackson. Ja- Samuel L. Jackson. He's been in a lot of things. He he's taught us to um, not leave without our Capital One card. What's in your wallet? Uh, he's uh, been on. He's been Martin Luther King on Broadway, but he's also been in Coming to America, True Romance, of course, uh, also in Pulp Fiction, and uh, uh, just has had a tremendous career. And another one of those, uh, you know, African American actors who has, I think, been able to build a career for himself that goes beyond what the traditional roles were. And according to this, and it's in Wikipedia, so we know yeah. it has to be right. His films that he's been in, so if he was in for a minute, it counts, have right. grossed over twenty-seven billion worldwide making him the second highest grossing actor of all time who's number one i don't know i didn't print off the whole thing you'll have to I wait till next harrison week ford. i want to harrison ford that's pretty impressive that's a good that's a good pick that's he's had a great great career my number four i went with my favorite actor gene hackman who's now 92 years of age last movie was a couple decades ago and welcome to mooseport with ray romano uh just has a commanding presence. I love his voice. Everything about him. French Connection. Uh, the Conversation. Unforgiven. Superman. Hoosiers. The Poseidon Adventure. Uh, it's just an icon. And even movies like um, uh, Behind Enemy Lines with Luke Wilson. Uh, you know, he takes a movie like that and elevates it to a higher level because he's in it. Uh, what a great career Gene Hackman had. Very well respected. Not the easiest guy to get along with on set, but... Uh, a tremendous talent with a massive career. He's my number four, Gene Hackman. My number three was Knighted. So if you're Knighted, you must have done pretty well. Knighted by Queen Elizabeth in uh, 1993. Um, he's from Wales. Uh, he graduated from the Welsh College of Music and Drama. He appeared, I started off with Catherine Hepburn. Well, of course, he played Richard the Lionhearted in Lion in Winter, for which uh Catherine hepburn won an academy award he received a nomination for a bafta for that role for a supporting role he also played in the bridge too far the elephant man uh he did about 14 minutes in a movie called silence of the lamb and won a best actor award for it which tells you something won his most recent one in 2020 for the father 
making him the oldest uh, Oscar winner to date. Pretty pretty long career there. He wins wins his uh, Oscar sixty years after he started acting, and that of course would be Mr. Philip Anthony Hopkins. It's a great pick. Uh, he's certainly a, a legend, iconic, and uh, one of the best actors of all time. My, my number three, I went with Clint Eastwood, who's now 92 years old, currently filming probably his last movie over at Warner Brothers called Juror Number Two. I mean, here's a guy that started in the spaghetti westerns, then went into the police movies like do all the Dirty Harry films, tremendously entertaining. to watch those five Dirty Harry movies any day on a binge Unforgiven revives the Western in the line of fire. One of my favorite all time movies, uh, Million Dollar Baby, another one of my all time favorite movies. Clint Eastwood, what a career. 90, hard to believe, 92 years old, still working, and uh, his, his career will stand the test of time, Ken. Yeah, absolutely. I agree totally on that. My number two, also knighted by the Queen, is Sir Morris or Maurice Joseph Micklewhite. And uh, Mickle White has been acting since the 1950s. Uh, we knew him from Zulu and the Italian job, Battle of Britain, The Eagle Has Landed. Uh, he received an Academy Award uh, in uh, Hannah and Her Sisters, and also for Dr. Wilbur Larch in uh, The Cider House Rules. Uh, but then he, he's also in Alfie, Sleuth, a few other things. But he's made a tremendous move then from a lot of these serious roles to where he had some non-serious roles that were beyond funny. Dirty Ron Scoundrels, Miss Congeniality, Austin Powers Gold Member, uh, and, and of course he played uh, Alfred in the um, Dark Knight trilogy, and of course that is of Mr. Maurice Joseph Micklewhite, otherwise known as Michael Caine. Here's what's interesting about Michael Caine. Um, when he, he, I remember, I think he was on the Merv Griffin show when he said one time, they, Merv, I think Merv asked him, he said, you know, you're a great actor, but why have you made so many, you know, clunker movies, you know, Joys of Revenge and Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, although I'm partial to Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, but, and The Swarm. And he said, listen, he said, when I was a kid, he said, my father had, uh, I think he had cancer. And he said, he needed an operation which we couldn't afford. So when somebody came to me in Hollywood and said, here's a ton of money, he said, how can I say no to it? I'm gonna take it because in retrospect, I wish I had that bag of money when my father needed that operation. It is, he's a, it's a very fascinating career. Uh, some of the movies he's done, some great ones, some very interesting ones that probably he's below his town level. But he also did a movie called Blame It On Rio, which with Joseph Bologna, one of your favorites, that would never get made uh, today. Talk about an R-rated raunchy comedy. You see Michael Caine in it, it made you very, very uncomfortable watching that movie in a uh, movie theater. I don't know if you remember that one. I, I do, and I also have to say, I don't know of any other business or employment other than acting where people are criticized for simply getting a paycheck, and it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, true, but they... But, but they they uh, they truly are. My number two, I, I got, I'm going with Tom Cruise because uh, here's a guy who's now, I think he's just turned 60, who's going on 35, who's defying time and doing things on film that's really breaking 
new ground. What I do like and respect about him, the guy's been around for a long time, since the 80s, risky business, all right moves. Uh, yeah, he, he, he's done a lot of the big action movies and then the Maverick huge movie last year which really theater owners desperately needed in the industry did he's been become a nice ambassador for the industry in general uh he talks highly he wants people to go to the movies that's really what you know he, he's advocating it makes a ton of money uh and he's a little to say the least quirky off screen but i gotta tell you his work ethic his professionalism i have the utmost respect for the man and uh he's had an amazing career which has spanned a really 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 long time and it easily is ken is one of the best careers in the history of show business tom cruise and one of these days, he may even act, yes. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm mean about that. Um, yes, my, my, my number one, I was, first I was shocked to realize that he's 92 years old. This man sprung full-grown. He actually was born at age 41 because you scratch your head to try to remember anything he did, and he did do a few movies before he was 41, but pretty much... Not not all that impressive. And then when he was 41, he played this role perfect for my whole thing about how it's the supporting people that are the real power behind movies. Well, he played a role where he was the most powerful person in that movie, even though his role wasn't. Because Vito had a lot of power, but the conciliary, he really is the guy who... He was the one who, no, Vito did not question Tom Hagen very often. Robert Duvall, I mean, he, he, did have, he did some movies in the 60s, but he really was born with The Godfather, and then he did several great movies after that. It's been a great career. He usually has not been the big bankable star, but he's usually has been a very big part of that movie. And of course, I think he was perfectly cast for The Godfather 1 and 2, and it's too bad that Michael didn't see, you know, the benefits that he could have been as a wartime conciliary. But, you know, Robert Duvall is the kind of lawyer I always wanted to be. And, and Tom Hagen. So that's my number one is Robert Duvall. That is a good, really pick. That is a good pick. Robert Duvall is a, a massive talent who's had a great career. My number one to me, I, I want to say it was a no-brainer. It's Tom Hanks. Um, here's a guy that has really become this generation's Jimmy Stewart. Um He's done so many movies of, of high prominence. You know, he goes back to the 80s on the TV show Bosom Buddies. Uh, he did a movie called Bachelor Party in 1984, which is a big fan favorite. But when you watch that stuff, you never say, hey, here's a guy who's going to win two Oscars, one for Philadelphia, one for uh, Forrest Gump. Also, Saving Private Ryan is an iconic movie. He's the voice of Woody in Toy Story. I think this movie, A Man Called Otto, was came out this year was a fantastic film and he's really good in it i think almost everything he touches uh is gold or close to gold i think he's the guy i don't want to oversell it but sort of an american treasure and, and tom hanks i think has the best career of anybody i can think of so he uh is is number one for me ken and in all honesty if i didn't purposely try not to duplicate because it's not much of a show if we have the same top it. 10 i would have had nine of your 10 probably so I had a lot of fun doing the program to everybody on uh, Whoa Whoa out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, listening, our podcast audience, uh, Movie Maniacs. It's been a pleasure, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Chuck.
Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. by Federated Media.